an epic matchup between your two favorite teams, and you're at the game getting the most from what it means to be here with American Express. You breeze through the card member entrance, stop by the lounge. Now it's almost tip-off, and everyone's already on their feet. This is going to be good. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your live sports experience at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Eligible American Express card required. Benefits vary by card and by venue. Terms apply. June's Journey is a fascinating hidden object mystery gaming app where you'll play as June Parker, tasked with a daunting obligation, solve your sister's murder. Set in the 1920s, the era of glitz and glam, this family mystery is one for the ages. Everyone's a suspect until your investigation determines otherwise. The clues are all around you, hidden within tricky twists and turns. You'll collect detailed information about each character in your photo album where you'll comb over every detail. You can even join a detective's club to chat and play with others or against them in the detective's league. With hundreds of puzzles to solve, you should probably get started today. Discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. We all have busy lives these days, and we don't want to waste a day recovering after a night out. That's why Zbiotics is the answer we've all been looking for. Their probiotic was invented by PhD scientists to tackle rough mornings after drinking. Here's how it works. When you drink, alcohol gets converted into a toxic byproduct in the gut. It's this byproduct, not dehydration, that's to blame for your rough next day. Pre-alcohol produces an enzyme to break this byproduct down. This is a proactive solution that wards off feeling miserable the next day instead of a reactive approach like drinking electrolytes or eating greasy food. Enhance your mornings with Zbiotics. Go to zbiotics.com/cbs to get 15% off your first order when you use code CBS at checkout. Zbiotics is backed with a 100% money back guarantee. So, if you're unsatisfied for any reason, they'll refund your money, no questions asked. Remember to head to zbiotics.com/cbs and use the code CBS at checkout for 15% off. Thank you, Zbiotics, for sponsoring this episode and our good times. This episode of Travel Today with Peter Greenberg is brought to you by Audible.com, a leading provider of spoken audio information and entertainment. Listen to audiobooks whenever and wherever you want. Sign up today at www.audiblepodcast.com slash travel today to get a free audiobook and 30-day trial. It's time for Peter Greenberg Worldwide with America's number one travel news journalist. And now, the man who travels over 400,000 miles each year, your travel detective, Peter Greenberg. Hi, everybody. Peter Greenberg here, and welcome to the podcast that's done from a different location around the world every single week. One day Canada, the next day Thailand, then New York, London. You just never know. This week, we come to you from Franklin, Tennessee, about 17 miles outside of Nashville, at a place called The Factory, a really cool place. My next guest knows a little bit about this place. He's uh, the 31st mayor of uh, Franklin, Tennessee, and the second physician to hold the job, Dr. Ken Moore. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Excited to be here. Yeah. So, uh, you know, how would you describe Franklin as somebody who's never been here? Franklin is probably the most unique community, in my opinion, that I've ever visited. Um, And I think that having traveled all over the United States, there are not many places that happen to be like Franklin it has such great character, has such wonderful people, such giving people. 
and such a great history. Now, of course, I would expect any mayor to say that about of course. their Of course. So, you, okay, that, okay, now let's get down to specifics. You want the negatives? Go ahead. Let her rip. Traffic. <laughs> uh, you know, we just um, learned Monday that Money Magazine uh, picked us as the fourth best city to live in in America. And a lot of people have already known that. And so we have had quite a bit of growth. We've grown 5,000 people in the last two years. That's a lot. And our county is number one in America for job growth, five quarters in a row. So people are coming, and people are coming because the jobs are here. People are coming because their grandchildren are here. People are coming because it's great quality of life. People are coming because it's beautiful. And uh, people are coming because the restaurants are good and uh, history. What about the history is attractive to you? Um, well, we were a Civil War town where a battle occurred. And uh, it, it was one of the bloodiest battles of the Civil War, and it was toward the end of the war. And uh, the Confederates probably made some very bad judgments. Uh, but you had almost 10,000 people died during that battle. Um, and the town was less than 2,000. And this community uh, came out in force and helped on both sides, you know, whether they were Confederate or Union, whatever. They came out and treated their injuries and took care of the dead. Uh, and I think that's uh, pretty much the way we are today. We're, we're a community that embraces everyone. And uh, if you can imagine back at that time in 1865, uh, every home was a, a hospital, and many of them that still exist today, you can see uh, evidence of blood on the floor, uh, and certainly families tell of stories just like this. So basically you have a really interesting Halloween here. Uh, <laughs> well, Halloween is interesting, I'm <laughs> but it's not because of... Uh, blood the, on the floor. No, it's really not. We've got uh, three natural, National Registry uh, historic cemeteries here, and we also are unique in that our West Main Street closes down for uh, Halloween, so it's a big party, people walking up and down the street having a good time, and, and the, the neighborhood loves it, but uh, they have to start... Uh, accounting for the candy budget pretty early in the year because they gave out a lot of candy. <laughs> it's funny because on the way into town, I, I actually stopped at the Walmart, and you had three separate aisles of candy. I mean, I mean, they're getting ready now. Well, they probably are. Yeah. That, and that's not really congruous with uh, Franklin is one of the governor's uh, healthiest communities. We were in the initial nine I pilot got, I, I got to get you down to the candy aisle. You need to see yeah, what's going on over yeah, there. Yeah, I need to go talk to them. <laughs> But let's go back to what you talked about, how people were taking care of people in 1865. Did reconciliation start here first? It took 100 years for Franklin to recover from uh, the economic uh, downturn that occurred at the Civil War. Uh, but uh, since that time, we've rebounded with great vigor uh, as a destination for people to live, work, and raise their family. And, you know, you've seen in, in, in cities either smaller or larger than yours, all around the country, the debate now about Civil War memorials or Confederate statues. Are you dealing with that here? Absolutely. Uh, each time there's been, when we had the incident in uh, Charleston, South Carolina, uh, we had a prayer vigil in our community because one of our African-American ministers was friends with the uh, people in the Emanuel AME Church. Uh, whenever uh, the Charlottesville incident occurred. Again, it popped up that people said, we need to take this statue down. Total. 
pretending we're not in Kansas anymore. especially Civil War history, um, and one of the, the biggest battles of the war, in fact, towards the end of the war was fought here, the Battle of, uh, of Franklin and the demise of the Tennessee Army. We'll talk a little bit about that later in the show, but if you really want to know where things happened and you want to get a sense of it, uh, you, you, you couldn't do a lot better than you could do right here in, in, in Franklin. And joining me now, who is the executive director of the Lots House Civil War House Museum is uh, J.T. Thompson. How are you, sir? Oh, well, thank you so much for having me. Yeah, so, I mean, there are Civil War museums in a lot of places. Yes, sir. Why here? Uh, heart, soul, ground zero. In the Battle of Franklin, November 3064, it's the best of the American Civil War. It's the worst of the American Civil War, wrapped up in five tragic hours. When the five, only five hours? Five hours. And how many people died? 10,000 American casualties. In five hours? Five hours. And, and quite frankly, um, today, I give, today I give several tours, but I have people from New Zealand, Romania, France, the UK. And you look people in the eye and you say 10,000 American casualties. And more oftentimes than not, eyes roll back. What's the perspective uh, in the Lodes house in this major thoroughfare going down the highway? Uh, perspective is what happens in Franklin is basically the equivalent of three days of 9-11 back to back to back a town of Franklin 750 people witnessed that horrific carnage in five hideous hours and then in the aftermath of that how did Franklin itself even survive uh, Franklin it's affected today a lot of people won't tell you that but it is um, people will come three four five years post battle and the first question they ask is how do you stomach the smell Franklin is a town that grows accustomed to the smell of death. Uh, the Lodes House is half a mile from downtown Franklin Main Street. That Main Street has won every preservation award known to man in the last 55 years. Only in the last three years did the city vote to spend $2.5 million to do widened highways and great traffic lights and, and wonderful sidewalks to encourage people to walk from downtown Franklin to the heart of the battlefield. That only happened a couple years and ago. And you can do that. You can now do that, yes. At Franklin, 16 years ago, the Lotes House was about to be sold and turned into a Mexican food restaurant, and they were named, going to name it Lots of Tacos based on the German immigrant's last name who built it. But it's Lotes. It's Lotes. I found his great-great-grandson 16 years ago, and I said, Sir, my name is J.T. Thompson. Several questions. The first is, how do you pronounce your last name? Yeah, now I know too, yeah. Lotes, Lotes, Lotes. And you could hear him smile on the phone. He goes, my name is David Lotes. And as a living descendant of the master worker, woodworker, German immigrant who built it, that's why we've chosen to know that pronunciation. Uh, but, but, but understanding what happens here, uh, today we get wrapped in, in peripherals of good, bad, wind, loose, north, south, blue, gray, Confederate flag, and slavery. Those are all peripherals. First and foremost, everyone who fights here and dies here is an American. They may be from the north. They may be from the South, but they die by the thousands so that, for, quite frankly, you and I can have this conversation today. And that's the only reason they need to be remembered, not just in Franklin, but throughout our country. I mean, at this point in history, where we see so many communities having this pretty intense debate. Absolutely. Uh, uh, about 
you know, memorializing the Confederacy. Sure. How do you deal with that here? They're Americans. They're not Northerners, not Southerners. First and foremost, they are an American. At the Lotz House, there are bloodstains on every floor. There's one wall where you can actually see where two or three soldiers actually sit. You see their, quite frankly, butt prints. And we point those out to people when they take the tours, not to make it a carnival, not to make this a ghost tour kind of thing, but to realize the sacrifice that Americans made. So again, that we can live in the country of today. We lost a generation of men, and what's important, the peripherals are not. What's important that we remember the sacrifice of brave Americans on both sides. Exactly. So to go to that house now. Yes, sir. Uh, for someone who's never been there. Yes, sir. What's the biggest surprise that, that awaits me? Um, that there's a little girl that's born in this house in 1858. Uh, other than being on the heart, the soul, grounds, or the battlefield. Um, the woodworking is truly exemplary. In fact, he is a master woodworker, 20 years training in, in Europe. But the new post when you walk in is actually the leg of one of his grand pianos that he flips over to stabilize the black walnut wrapper staircase. And the, the, the story, the family surviving this horrific battle, but also understanding my very first job was at the Carter House, 110 steps across the street. I was 15, I made two bucks, 50 cents an hour, and I was programmed to do one thing, battle, battle, battle. And as a kid at 15, I fell in love with the military aspect. But so often- That was, that was the recreator guys. Yeah, absolutely. The reenactments. The reenactments and all that kind of good stuff. But the thing about it is simply this, Peter. Uh, we don't talk nearly enough about the people who called Franklin home that day. And you asked me what the most important thing was. A little girl born in the house in 1858 celebrates her sixth birthday in that house the day before the battle takes place. Mr. Lotz ultimately will be chased out of town by the Klan in 1869, the KKK. But his daughter has begun her art career with a stick in the dirt, drawing family farm animals with that stick in the dirt. They get to California. Uh, she will be introduced to Phoebe Hurst, mother to William Randolph Hurst. She becomes a great benefactor to Matilda. Matilda is the very first woman who will win three gold medals at the acclaimed French Academy. She paints portraits of Mr. Hurst. She paints portraits of then Governor Leland Stanford, founder of Stanford University, today recognized as California's premier female pioneer artist. She makes her money painting people. She keeps her head right by drawing family farm animals with that stick in the dirt. Um, and the thing that's amazing to me is that at six years old, the day after celebrating her very important sixth birthday, 10,000 people. Though. She sees, she smells, she witnesses, she lives through the worst the world could ever throw at anybody, let alone a sweet, innocent little six-year-old girl. And quite frankly, it is that day that will forever, uh, it will affect her. It makes her the lady that eventually she grows up to be. Amazing story. Yes, sir. And true story. And you can see it here. Absolutely. If you are continuing on to another Southwest destination, please make sure that you check the monitors inside the terminal for your proper gate and flight information. If you are continuing on with another airline, we really don't care. I am a passenger. My next guest, I always love having these guys on the show because I'm one of these guys, but that's not the reason. The reason is whenever I go to any city, town, or village in America, the very first place I want to stop is the firehouse. And the reason for that is they've been in everybody's house. They've been in everybody's hotel. They've been in everybody's restaurant. They know. They know where to go. They know where not to go. They know where to eat. Yes, they do. 
uh, but that's almost stereotypical, but the point is they do. And if you really want to flavor an authentic, genuine, often curated flavor of a community, stop at the firehouse. It, and in many cases, it really is the central hub of the community. And my next guest knows all about that because he's been in Franklin for, what, 24 years? 24 years. He's the deputy fire chief, Glenn Johnson. How are you, sir? I'm doing great. Glad to be here. And to put things in, in, in perspective, even though you've been here 24 years, recently you've been in Houston, you've been in Jacksonville. I mean, you guys have been out there mutually aiding all those fire departments in the affected areas of the hurricanes. Uh, yes, sir. We've actually been deployed to Hurricane Harvey down in Houston. We were there for seven days assisting uh, Texas Task Force 1 and Texas Task Force 2. Uh, in the Buffalo Bayou area of Houston. Uh, then we were, I think we were there for seven days, came home, and we're literally here for 36 hours. And off you go again. And then we uh, deployed Tennessee Task Force 2, which is a Type 3 urban search and rescue team with uh, water assets. And we were initially in Tallahassee, was our staging location. However, when the hurricane... It shifted. It shifted towards yeah. us. Yeah. <laughs> and then they uh, said, well, we'll move you to Jacksonville. And that it, that it will allow you to hook up with uh, Florida Task Force 5. And while we were en route to Jacksonville, of course, the hurricane changed its track again. And we just happened to be in the right place at the right time. Uh, there was a lot of flooding in the St. John's River area of Jacksonville. And we were able to uh, assist the Jacksonville Fire Department with uh, swift water operations. And you've been trained for that here. Yes, yes. You know, we got our... Uh, really our first dose of uh, flooding in 2010. It was a uh, historical flood in this area. And we literally worked for five days straight uh, doing operations both here in Franklin and uh, the surrounding communities. Well, thank you so much for your service. And in fact, that is the spirit of fire departments. We mutually aid each other all the time. And we have a fire in my department out on, on, on Fireland in New York. There's, there's a good chance we'll be aided by at least two other departments. Yes. Almost every time. Exactly, and that's why it's important to build those relationships with the other departments around you. And lucky, we're lucky here in uh, in Middle Tennessee where we have a strong network of uh, of mutual aid agreements and uh, friendships. Now you talk about water assets. You know, I'm a volunteer fireman. I've done right. it since I'm 18. And if you take a look at so many of the innovations in firefighting, it came from volunteer fire departments because we had no budget. That's right. We had zero, right? So when you talk about water assets, I mean, when we're doing rescues, we're, you know, it's somebody's rowboat that we're borrowing. You know, it's, it's, it's not just a, a specially equipped craft. Right. And uh, unfortunately, you know, when 2010 hit the flood, we basically, we cleared out uh, Academy Sports. We bought every flat bottom they had because we just didn't have enough water assets. Right. And in the volunteer community, you do what you have to do to get the job done. Exactly. And, you know, and with the volunteer fire service, and it's like the career uh, fire service, you know, it, it's not a job, it's a passion. It is. And, you know, I know up, up north in the New York State area, they're very proud of their fire departments, and they take a lot of pride in what they do. And, and yes, it's we really do. <laughs> it's really impressive seeing that. Yeah, and you know what? It, 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 it's um, You become, yes, you're a part of the community, but you really become a part of the community then. Because, you, you know, there's a good chance that when you're responding to an alarm, you know the person. Exactly right. And it happens here in Franklin. Yeah. I mean, I like to say Franklin's probably the, the, the smallest big town or the biggest small town you'll ever get to. Because, you know, some of the alarms we go to is people that I know, been friends with for a long time. Wow. And they don't have to say, what are you doing here? Because they know what you're That's doing. That's exactly right. <laughs> hey, quickly, your favorite, I got to ask the eating question. Okay. Where do you hang out? It depends on what I'm in the mood for. Okay, what are you in the mood I stay, for? I stay in downtown Franklin where uh, it's all locally owned restaurants. 
if I'm in the mood for steak, it's a uh, cork and cow. If it's a cork cor- and cow, cork and cow. Oh, my God. oh yeah, it's one of our local favorites. And we have Gray's on Main with the uh, Farmer's Daughters open face burger with the uh, egg and bacon. Uh, You're a meat guy. Oh yeah. But I'm going to get to the oysters. 55 South is our favorite place to go on Thursday afternoons to have uh, oysters and our favorite uh, beverage. And but, but, of course, you're on the radio in case they need you. Uh, not at that time. <laughs> <laughs> That's after hours. Riding along in my automobile My baby beside me at the wheel Cruising and playing the radio With no particular place to go My next guest... Went to school in Knoxville. His parents were Baptists. They didn't drink. Uh, came from a family of engineers, so of course he became a lawyer. And then when nobody was looking, he opened a distillery. Do I have that right, Heath? That's uh, mostly right. Yeah. <laughs> Heath Clark, right. the owner of H. Clark Distillery. I mean, how many distilleries are now here? In Tennessee, there's about 35. Uh, and it wasn't that long ago we only had three. And it was not that long ago you only had one. It was called Jack Daniels. Yeah, Jack Daniels. They're big. Those guys make a little bit of whiskey down there. Um, and Tennessee, we've made a lot of whiskey for a long time, but we've got also the, the rather um, un, um, we've got the bad reputation of banning whiskey. We've been the first state to do it twice. Um, you know, the first vestige of prohibition anywhere was by the then Confederate government of Tennessee outlawed whiskey production because there was too many resources going into the production of whiskey, not enough in the army. And so, you know, you flash forward, industry recovered to nearly 1,000 distilleries across the state in 1910. So, you know, 10 years ahead of Volstead, we did it again. We got rid of all the distilleries. We also banned horse racing that year. So we, uh, you know, we uh, You got a twofer. That's right. It's a, you know, great year in the history of the state of Kentucky, not so good for Tennessee. Well, you've come back now. We have, yeah. It's come back with a fury. We've got uh, Okay, why, why you and why a distillery? I grew up near Lynchburg, so... Oh, that uh, would be the Jack Daniels folks. There was some folks down there make some whiskey, yeah, Jack Daniels. So um, both of my mom's brothers were engineers at Jack Daniels, and my Uncle Bill's been uh, the engineering manager down there for, I don't know, 20 years. He started there in 1981, and so we got to run around the distillery a lot. We'd, you know, go through you know, the cave, we'd get to go... <laughs> hey, where's uh, Heath? He's uh, playing at the distillery. <laughs> right. Uh, fine. Yeah. We would, you know, go do uh, contests like run up the hills at the distillery, literally, with uh, you know cousins and brothers, and it was always the first guy to throw up, sort of lost, you know. So it was contest. Was you know, there drinking involved? Well, no, no, we didn't do much drinking. Now, we were all like 12, 13, 15 years old, so we uh, he kept us out of the whiskey. But we did a lot of smelling and a lot of snooping around and getting to see how how the place worked, and it's just an amazing operation uh, and good folks. And it's kind of this interesting culture in Tennessee, and especially that part of the state where, you know, it's the buckle of the Bible Belt. A lot of folks don't drink, um, but there's this enormous civic pride around Jack Daniels in, in Lynchburg, Tullahoma, Winchester. Um, we also have home with the George Dickel distillery down there. Yep. You know, so everywhere you go, people are making whiskey. Um, and so it was uh, sort of a shock when uh, it, the notion hit me to make whiskey about 10 years ago that you couldn't. It was all but, you know, prohibited anywhere else in the state. But you did it. We got it done. Um, Tennessee has this weird uh, statutory scheme where you got to vote on everything. You know, if you want liquor, buy the drink. Every county, every city would have to vote on it. If you wanted retail package sales, you got to do it again. Every city, every county, vote on it. And manufacturer had the same requirement with uh, some really 
other baggage difficulty just getting it to the ballot. And the result was, as late as 2009, we had three distilleries in the state of Tennessee. Um, I had an idea that uh, I bet the people okay with drinking were also okay with, with making. And, um, you know, my, <laughs> my dentist had another A concept patient. not lost on you. Yeah. You know, right? And so, uh, you know, my, my dentist had another patient who was a, a state senator, and he got us in touch, and we talked, and this bill uh, got sponsored, and there was a lot of other folks wanting to make whiskey. Uh, another Franklin guy named Mike Williams, he was, uh, uh, had another bill sort of in the house at the same time, and he uh, left his bill. We sort of joined forces, and this coalition was, you know, sort of started right out of the gate to, uh, to work on this legislation. And so... And you've had the distillery since when? 2014. All so right. it so took me a little it's, while. It's, but it's a relatively new distillery. It is. Limited production? We make a barrel of whiskey a week. Just to put that in perspective, our friends in Lynchburg make 2,400 a day. And so uh, we make everything 100 gallons at a time in an old uh, brandy copper pot still. And so we... Uh, so if you're making a, a barrel a day... A barrel a week. A week. Excuse me. That's right. You're making we're not that big. Oh, my God. Okay. <laughs> you're doing a barrel a week. Yes. Right. So we're talking extremely limited distribution. Extremely limited. We're really only in Middle Tennessee and uh, Knoxville right now. And that's fine because people in Middle Tennessee like to drink. So they're, they're taking care of our production. So they're drinking whatever you can make. Yes. So you're doing okay. We're making it. Yeah. We're still here. Are you going to go to two barrels a week? That's the goal. So I'm trying to solve a storage problem. And as soon as I can get my storage uh, space license, we're going to go to two barrels a week. That's, uh, that's kind of crazy. Now, explain the whiskey that you're doing. <clears throat> so we do two whiskeys. We do a uh, Tennessee bourbon. So contrary to a lot of uh, uh, sort of misconceptions, bourbon can be made anywhere in the United States. And so we make a bourbon uh, right here in Thompson Station. Um, we also make a malt whiskey, this cousin to scotch that we call our black and tan. So we make an oatmeal stout okay, beer. That's the one I want, the oh, black it, and tan. That's what I got. I've get. got some in the truck. I'll go get it. I love when a guy in Tennessee tells me something like, I got some in the truck. Audible.com has more than 150,000 titles and virtually every genre. So check it out for yourself. Sign up today at www.audiblepodcast.com slash travel today to get a free audiobook and 30-day trial. When you talk about Franklin, Tennessee, most people don't get here, uh, but they should. Uh, it is one of the all-time iconic main streets in America. It is where a lot of the music musicians in Nashville call home. Um, it, it, it's sort of like the biggest little small town I can find in Tennessee. I think it's fair to say, but the person who knows more about that than anything, he's written 50 books, ladies and gentlemen, uh, is James Crutchfield. Welcome to the show, sir. Thank you very much. Enjoy. I mean, you are the you are the Franklin historian. You know that. Well, there are others, but I try. No. <laughs> 50 <laughs> books. I think you got a head start. Not all about Franklin. Though. I know. But but you you're originally from from Nashville, so you're you're essentially local. Yes, sir. Right? Yes. But when you first came to Franklin, how many people were here? There were between 6 and 12,000. There were either six or 12, and I can't remember which, but much, much less than 15,000. Exactly. And it was still a small town. Absolutely. People still whittled wood on the corner of the 4th uh, and Main and on the public square and so forth. Hardware store on the square. Unheard of things today. We have boutique restaurants and hotels. Are you telling me the hardware store's gone? Hardware stores. Bit the dust. <laughs> My favorite place. <laughs> You know what? I used to go hang out at the hardware store. I love hardware store. Me too. Me too. 
but some of the flavor has still retained. It, it, it's, it's, it, we have a lot of tradition here, obviously, but yes, uh, the progress has, has really hit Franklin in the last 25, 30 years, along with the population boom, development, subdivisions, uh, national headquarters of, of, of international corporations. You know, it, it's just unbelievable. County's got 120 something thousand, had 40 when I moved here. City's got 100, uh, 60,000, 80,000, had 12,000, whatever, when I moved here. So. But it's rich in history. Oh, yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Many, many. Uh, the Battle of Franklin is a it's one of the big hot points, and that's what people like to come here for, in addition to the tourism and so forth, and the entertainment and the music and so forth. But well, let's talk about the, the, a lot the, more the Battle of Tennessee. The uh, Battle of Franklin, uh, Army of Tennessee. It was uh, next to the last great battle of the Civil War, right before the Battle of Nashville. And this was in November of 1864. And that essentially ended the Army of Tennessee. Uh, the Army of Tennessee was really, really whacked hard here. Got whacked hard two weeks later at Nashville, and uh, it unfortunately turned its tail and hit for Mississippi, and that was the end of it. Went to North Carolina and surrendered, but that was all of it. And then in April, of course, the war was over. So but, in, but in that battle, how many people died? There were like 12, 14, 16,000. It's been so long since I've written and all. I can't remember all the numbers, but it was the, it's called the bloody, bloody Battle of Franklin because it was one of the bloodiest battles of the Civil War. Amazing. Antietam in Virginia was a real, real big one, but Franklin was, was very large, a lot of, on both sides, both sides. Wow. For you, given all the years that you've been here, given all the changes you've seen, what's the thing that keeps you here? And what's the thing that, that brings people back because it's still the heart and soul of, of, the, of the town? Well, what keeps me here is what got me here, and that is the history, the ambiance, the atmosphere, the locality, the closeness to Nashville. When I moved here, I was flying all over the country, traveling, and I insisted to have be within an hour of an airport, and that was happened because I like to go to state libraries and archives and so forth and travel, uh, and close to an airport, and it was, so in a big city library or Tennessee State Library and Archives. So I had the best of both worlds, yet I didn't live in Nashville, which was at that time beginning to get kind of crowded and... <laughs> You know, so there was a, a saying uh, back at the turn of the century that when somebody said, where do you live? And you said, Franklin. They say, well, where is that? You'd say, it's, uh, uh, it's 15 miles and 100 miles down, uh, 15 miles and 100 years down the road from Nashville. And that's what it was when I moved here still. It really was. It was very, very uh, rural, uh, pastoral. You could go out five miles and see cows grazing in the pastures and sheep and such, but no more. <laughs> but you still have Main Street. Still have Main Street. Main, uh, Franklin was one of the first declared uh, Main Street USA by the Heritage uh, the Preservation Trust. And now, uh, since then, several others have come along and are, but, but Franklin was a, a spirit leader, a leader, a leader in getting that uh, Main Street designation started in the United States among small-town Americans. And some of the iconic buildings are, are very much still there. I mean, you've got the theater. 1930-something theater, but even older than that, a lot of the facades along Main Street, they all date from post-Civil War. Most of the pre-Civil War stuff, the antebellum stuff's gone, but they all date from the so-called Victorian, uh, Victorian commercial era, and, and there are lots of still 1880s, 1890s. I mean, 1890s. it reminds you a little bit of Natchez, Mississippi, only because yeah. of all the architecture. It does. Architecture, we have a lot of, a lot of really pretty architecture still here, and a wonderful world of antebellum homes, still like they were originally. So. 
And let's not forget there are distilleries here. Absolutely, now there are. There used to be one in the entire state of Tennessee, and that was Jack Daniels, because you could not legally manufacture whiskey in Tennessee. It didn't matter how many hoops you jumped through or how many politicians you paid, you still couldn't make it. But they did. So Jack Daniels did. Yeah. Had a special uh, dispensation from the United States government that Jack Daniels could manufacture whiskey in the state of Tennessee. I'm not sure why, but that was done even Well, somebody in. obviously was writing a check. Well, it could have been. But <laughs> old Jack was gone, so we don't know whether it was him or not. But, <laughs> but no, distilleries have, oh, man, but distilleries have boomeranged since, since in the last 20 years, I guess. We must have 15 craft distilleries within Williamson County. I'm not surprised. I mean, there's been an explosion in, in craft whiskey, American whiskey, uh, bourbon. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Bourbon is big in this part of the country, so it's, uh, it's, it's really big here. For someone who's not been here before, if they were just coming to you and say, okay, Mr. Crutchfield, where would you send me? Where, what, you, what do you want me to see? Well, even though I'm not a Civil War historian, I certainly uh, like the Civil War and the history of it and so forth. I've written about it, but it's not my strong suit. But I would have to send them to see the battlefield, the Carnden House, uh, the Carnden Plantation, or the Carnden uh, House, uh, the Carter House, which is on Columbia Avenue. They're both part of something called the Civil War Trust. Uh, I mean, the um, Franklin Trust, and they are managed by the same overall organization. And, Hello and welcome to Alaska Flight 438. We'd like to tell you now about some important safety features of this aircraft. The most important safety feature we have aboard this plane is the flight attendants. Please look at one now. In the show, we were talking to the mayor, Dr. Ken Moore, and of course, if you're talking about Franklin, you're really talking about Main Street. You're talking about a city that's walkable and a Main Street that's walkable. It may not be the longest Main Street in the world, but it's definitely walkable. And joining me now, somebody who knows a little bit about Main Street. She's the uh, director of the Franklin Williamson County Heritage Association. Barry Beasley, how are you? Hi, great, thank you. I mean, did I? Main Street is. I mean, you know, every town says they got a Main Street, right? Right. You have a Main Street. Absolutely. I mean, a, but I mean an authentic Main Street. Right. And it hasn't always looked like it looks today. You had to go find it. Right. And you had to go dis rediscover it, actually. Absolutely. So in the 1970s, there was concern among um, merchants because people really weren't coming to Main Street and businesses were not booming. And so there was a discussion. Among, but was there a reason for there to be booming business at that time? Right. At that time, um, it didn't. It, streetscape had not happened yet. And there were awnings on uh, over the sidewalks. There were it was metal um, uh, all over the architecture of the buildings. Let, let me help you. It was ugly. It was ugly. Thank you. Okay, fine. <laughs> yes. And so the citizens got together and went through something called streetscape. And so it, it addressed infrastructure and also addressed beautification. And so the awnings but, but were being, taken down. But being true to the original architecture. Absolutely. So when the awnings came down and when the metal siding came down, all of a sudden that beautiful architecture was rediscovered. And the other part of the beautification was planting trees and um, flowers. And so today when you walk Main Street, you see all the vibrant businesses and I think that in 2016, we had about 1.5 million visitors come to Franklin. And they're all walking. They're all walking Main Street. What are they going to find on Main Street? 
You're going to find um, shops, local people, artists who have fabulous shops. You're going to find some of the best restaurants that you will ever experience. You're going to find music, the Franklin Theater. That's one project we're so proud of as part and, of the Heritage And that Foundation. theater goes back to, what, the 30s? It does. It's called the Home of First Kisses. Oh, I have so many things I can respond to. That. <laughs> uh, have you been to that theater? Absolutely. So if I can... Well, I'm not done yet. Okay. Did you have your first kiss there? <laughs> I'm from Alabama, so I didn't discover it until I was Oh, you adult. were kissing already by the time you showed up. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. I will say that my husband and I had our first date on Main Street, and then four years later, he took me back to Main Street and proposed. And then here we are living in Williamson County, raising our daughter. And did, did you at least sneak in the theater and have a kiss? We have, yes. Okay, I, was, I had to know that. Okay, fine. Right. But, I mean, it, it, that is really touching because, I mean, we lose so much of our sense of community in, the, in this country. Right. Right? And And... and it, it really does disappear if we're not careful. That's right. And so the beginning of the Heritage Foundation was actually in 1967. There was a historic house in downtown Franklin that was torn down. And so a group of concerned citizens got together and said, let's not do that ever again. It's not going to happen. And they went to places like Charleston and Savannah and they looked at best practices in other cities. And so 50 years later, our mission is the same. We're saving the places that matter in Franklin and Williamson County. And what happened to the old jail? The old jail is now the big house for historic <laughs> preservation, and that's where you don't call, we are headquartered. You call it the big house? We call it the big house. And if you come over and see us, we'll get your mugshot. I'm, what makes you think you have a monopoly on that? No, <laughs> no but the, that's kind of, I mean, it's, it's, right. it's cute, yeah. But, right. but the point is you preserve the old jail. Absolutely. So it was going to be torn down. It was owned by the city, and uh, we purchased it several years ago and did a complete uh, a restoration of that building. And so now it's the headquarters of the Heritage Foundation. People use the facility all the time for receptions and events. And so it's really open to the whole community. What's been, been your biggest challenge? I, I want to speak to what was the challenge for the people that came before me. Because historic preservation has not always been viewed favorably. And so I think about the 1960s and the 1970s when there was a lot of development and people didn't love or understand historic preservation. I'm glad for the people that came before me that had the foresight to, to move forward and to save Franklin so that we can all enjoy it today. But I mean, today you, you certainly must have some challenges as it relates to maintaining it. Right. So you know, there's unprecedented growth in Williamson County. And so we're not opposed to growth and development. We know development will come. We just want smart development. We want to be at the table making sure that our historic resources uh, continue to be saved as development comes. When, you know, look, there's always, it's a double-edged sword, right? Everybody wants to, to grow. Mm -hmm. and they want to get bigger and bigger and bigger. And unfortunately, when that happens, resources get stretched and genuine, authentic experience gets challenged. Right. And so that's always a challenge for us. This morning, I heard someone uh, from another city here in the state who works in the area of preservation speak. And she said, you know, we've come a long way because she's working with a developer who's saving a property. And he referenced another property in her town. She said, oh, have you seen the wall? It's falling down. And he said, we can save that. See. And so that, that's a great perception of how people are seeing uh, the value. Millennials today, they want to be in places uh, with uh, historic preservation. They want authenticity. They do. So your new motto is, we can save that. We can save that, yes. Hello, uh, this is your captain speaking. There is absolutely no cause for alarm. Let your motor run and head out on the highway. Looking for adventure.
I would like to call Franklin small town Tennessee. It, it really is. It's getting bigger, I know. But it's the kind of place where everybody knows everybody. And uh, everybody knows my next guest, Andy Marshall, who's the uh, the president of, what a surprising name, Andy Marshall Foods. Like, yeah. <laughs> Very creative. Very huh? creative. You, you had a committee meeting on that. I <laughs> That's right. I mean, how many restaurants are in Franklin? Oh, Lord. Peter, I don't know. It's, it's grown so much over just here recently. Um, we've got four here in Williamson County ourselves. And so I would imagine, if I had to guess, Franklin, Tennessee, probably 100 restaurants plus. That's a lot. Yeah. yeah. And, of course, barbecue. Hmm. Yes. Now, there's Memphis barbecue. We'll, we'll give them that. Yep. Is there Franklin barbecue? Well, I wouldn't say there's a Franklin style itself. As a matter of fact, I cook my barbecue old Memphis style. 18-hour process, nine hours over smoke, nine hours in a holding cabinet. So I've duplicated what they perfected. You're a big guy. <laughs> you like your barbecue. I do like my barbecue. <laughs> is it a dry rub? It is, yeah. Yeah, I use a dry rub, our own recipe. And, uh, what's in it? Love the process. What's in it? Well... I mean, don't, you know, don't give me the Colonel Sanders it, story. I, I don't, not, want, I don't <laughs> want to hear the, the secret. I, I want to hear the real. All right. So it, it's, it's very basic, but with a lot of spices. We're, we're using a, a paprika and uh, cumin and, and onion powder and garlic salt and brown sugar and all these things that just make great barbecue. How long has your family been in this business? Well, um, we're kind of new to the business, to be quite frank. Um, you go back to what, that, that old year of 1998, maybe? 98, yeah. yeah. Before that, I was in the grocery business, and my dad was in the grocery business. So well, I, you've been in the food business. There it is. Yeah, I broke chain along the way and got into the restaurant business. Is there still a Piggly Wiggly? Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> you, I couldn't, you know, in, in this part of the world, there's either Piggly Wiggly or, or, or Winn-Dixie. Right, right. right. Well, yeah, Kroger's is the big, big one here, and then Publix has moved in. But, you know, a small known fact uh, about Piggly Wiggly is I brought them back to Tennessee. They left in 1929 when the Kroger brothers bought them to get shopping carts. And Piggly Wiggly disappeared they, they, out of this they, market. They just got them for the carts? Yeah. Yeah, so they disappeared out of this market. And I brought them back, did some research, loved the name, and brought them back, and then talked a bunch of other independents into changing names to Piggly Wiggly. And how many are there now? I don't know. When I when I left, we had like 53, yeah, <laughs> in this area. But uh, but yeah, you know, slowly but surely, the the independent restaurant business or grocery business is a tough business. So here we are in Franklin. Mm -hmm. uh, outside of your restaurants, right? Yep. Where would you want me to go? Where, where do you like to hang out? That's a, that's that may not be in the brochure. That may not be in the right. guidebook that people need to know about. Yeah, it's it's Main Street Franklin, and here in the factory too, you got a great option here. But, you know, on Main Street Franklin, you got all different kinds of options. But And by the way, when yeah. we talk about Main Street Franklin, we're truly talking about traditional Main Street. Absolutely. Very walkable, up and down, see your neighbors, meet new friends. All right, so where are you going to take me on Main Street? Well, let's go to the Red Pony. Let's start there. Why? Well, they're good folks, chef-driven restaurant, do a great job, independent like myself, and they really care, and it shows in their food. How's their barbecue? Oh, no. I got their barbecue. <laughs> <laughs> so what do you order there? Well, they uh, they got upscale dishes, so they're going to take southern foods and put, put an upscale flair on them. So they're short ribs and things like that. Or, or Traditional-looking meals, but with a lot of flavor and a lot of flair. Do I mention the word grits? Oh, yeah, sure. Oh, I just did. Yeah, absolutely. But, but how do you do your grits? 
Well, I'm 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 butter, salt, pepper, and, and, a, and a little little bit of uh, uh, smoked Gouda cheese in there. Oh, you see, now you said it. Nothing beats on anything you want smoked Gouda cheese. I love it. See, I don't get a grilled cheese sandwich with cheddar. I do a grilled <laughs> cheese sandwich with smoked Gouda and caramelized onions. Oh, good for you. Yes. Uh, we're on the same page yeah, on that. One? Absolutely. Can you get that at your restaurant? I'll make it for you. <laughs> But it's not on the menu. You just got to no, ask. No. See, you got to go see Andy. Mm-hmm. Say, look, we heard the radio show. We want the smoked Gouda grilled cheese sandwich with the caramelized onions. <laughs> we'll call it the Greenberg. Oh, that'll sell real well in Tennessee. <laughs> it might. Absolutely. You've been listening to Peter Greenberg Worldwide. Catch us each week as we broadcast from a new location somewhere around the world. Hey, Prime members, Peter Greenberg here. You can listen to Ion Travel ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today, and you can listen ad-free with Wondery Plus in Apple Podcasts. And before you go, tell us about yourself by completing a short survey at Wondery.com. If you travel for work, you know to pack two suits, business and swim. You know with your Delta SkyMiles business Amex card, buying that plane ticket for a business trip can get you closer to medallion status. You know that a meeting in Montana means visiting almost every national park. Yellowstone? Check. Because you're the chief excursion officer. It's why you're a Delta SkyMiles Platinum Business American Express card member. If you travel, you know. Terms apply. Visit go.amex slash you know business. Hey, it's Matt Norlander with the CBS Sports Eye on College Basketball podcast, and it is tournament time, people. So listen to the one podcast that will cover every upset, Cinderella, Bracket Buster Sleeper. We've got it all covered, every round, reaction shows, all the way up through the championship game in Glendale, Arizona. To find us, search Eye on College Basketball podcast wherever you get your podcasts.